Jesus Christ came. Man, that testimony is powerful to me. And that's the message we've got to take out to those we come into contact with. You know, our society here in Whanganui is surrounded by people that are going through similar stuff. We have the message. Jesus Christ came. It's not about Christmas presents and all the rave that goes with it. This is the core we must get back to. Because Jesus makes real change in real people's lives. Amazing, isn't it? Well, let's see where he was prophesied about. Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to read a couple of verses there. Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to read verse 2 and then verses 6 to 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. There it is. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shined. Verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What an amazing prophecy. Hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ was born. Most babies, uh, when they're born, they're given one distinct name at birth. All right? One name. Dave Tastard. One name. We're not given more than one name because that would just confuse people. Imagine if I was called Dave Tastard, Calvin Yonker, and Bob Jones. Who am I? We get given one distinct name. But Isaiah announces the birth of a baby with five distinct names. And then the angel comes and tells Mary, your son will be called Jesus. Six names. But this was no ordinary baby, you see. You see, one name wasn't sufficient to describe this special child. And, and these names tell us something of what the baby will do. Imagine reading on a birth announcement... Dave Testard, engineer extraordinaire, vigorous kayaker, fisherman of worth. Imagine if on the, on the birth announcement you could actually read what this baby was going to do. It, it's not possible, right? Why? Because we can't read into the future. The only thing we do know about these babies are this. Thumbsucker, blinker. Drooler, filler of nappies. That we know with certainty. And that maybe should go on the birth announcement. <laughs> However, this baby was different. And this baby's accomplishments were prophesied about hundreds of years before he was born. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, says the prophet Isaiah, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called... Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
This is one of my favorite Old Testament passages because this prophecy of Isaiah encapsulates the complete content of the Christmas story. For to us, a child is born. This is no ordinary child. There was a purpose to the birth of this child. This child was the prophesied about one. This was the one whom God had sent specifically to the world on a very specific mission with a code 777 on him, not 007. His mission was to go to the earth to put on human flesh, God to become one of us and to bring us God's message, a very specific message of God's offer of love and forgiveness for sin to people who are hopeless and helpless without that love. He was on a mission. And he was also then come to show us that love in action. In other words, he had to be God amongst man. He had to come and live amongst us. He had to be, grow up amongst the Jews in Israel. He had to become a young man there. He had to start his ministry. He had to gather men around him. He had to be a man among men. And so God brought about, superhumanly, God brought about human life in Mary. He was unique. He was born of a virgin. There's no other human being who's ever been born of a virgin, ever. And never will there be. He was born of a virgin. God brought that life about. God gave birth to that son through Mary. And he became the God-man for to us. A child is born. You see, we, you and I, are creatures helpless in sin. Helpless in sin from the moment of our conception. We got Adam's sinful human nature. We inherited that from our forefather. But this one, this child, he was God's great gift to you and I in our helplessness. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. God sent his son to this earth with his full authority. He was to bear all the rights, all the privileges, and all the majesty of God himself. He would strip himself of these voluntarily while he was a man, but he still had them in essence. And even though he was in human form, he was no less God. I'm summing up a whole lot of theology here this morning, but this is the wonder of this child. He's not just a little baby in a manger. God sent him to this earth with his full authority. Jesus tried to explain that to his disciples who weren't always all that sharp and getting things the first time. And right at the end of his ministry, when he was about to leave, he gave them his final instructions. And even there he was trying to teach them about this authority. And he said to them in Matthew 28 verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's what the prophet Isaiah is speaking about. It's a delegated authority, but it's also not delegated. It is in essence who he is. But he comes with the authority of his father. Now, with that authority behind you, my disciples, go into all the world and take the message that I've brought into the world. You are now my ambassador. And that's where Christmas hits you and I. Because we are still His disciples. We are Christ followers. I've started using Christian less and less. 
I'm a Christ follower. That's what I want to do with my life. And that's what God wants me to do. And so this newly born baby would be the glorious fulfillment of God's promise of eternal sovereignty. The government would be on his shoulder. And then the prophet Isaiah, under inspiration of God, gives him these five names. Five titles to this child Messiah who would come. He would be wonderful. Now, so often we've read that as wonderful counselor. If you go back to original, it's actually, he will be called wonderful. It's his own name. It's not a double name. He's called wonderful. The word literally is, he's called the wonder. The wonder. It's a description of his divine nature. He's a, and I use this word carefully, he's a phenomenon lying outside of all normality. He's incomprehensible to you and I as mortal man. And nothing and no one we have ever seen or heard of will ever compare to him. He's the wonder. He's too wonderful to comprehend with our finite minds. And yet, he's revealed enough of himself to make himself known to us. You see, God placed himself on earth in human form so that we could understand God. I'll repeat that. God placed himself in human form so that we could understand God. He revealed himself to us. And not just that, he is wonderful, but he is counselor. Yes, he's a wonderful counselor, but he's counselor as well. He's the all-knowing. He's the omniscient God. He knows everything there is to know. He could always discern and give counsel to his own nation during Isaiah's time, but he also gives and discerns everything there is about you and I. He knows everything about us. He can discern every single situation we are in. He's the God who is the mighty uh, sorry, who is the counselor. There's no need for this God, this Jesus Christ, to surround himself with counselors. He's got no need of counselors. He's got no need of opinion polls. Politicians can't seem to go without opinion polls anymore. And they're all wrong, usually. He doesn't need working groups. He doesn't need strategic advisors. He's the all-knowing God. Because he can see the whole picture. He creates the picture. The artist knows his creation. Do you see who this Jesus is? And therefore, his discernment of you and I is absolute. He knows us 100%. That's the beauty of it. And his counsel to you and I, when we spend time in his word and we allow his Holy Spirit to use his word in us, his counsel to us is 100% correct all of the time even during times when we are filled with 100% of questions he knows the right answer and he gives that to us but the problem is you see sin sin has come into us and we inherited that sin and it reduces you and I to fools I'm sorry to say that And at the very epicenter of our foolishness is 
a denial of God. I'm not speaking about philosophical atheism here. I'm speaking about we deny God in practice. We deny God in the everyday lives we live because we think we can live life on our own. We think we can do without God. But He is the counselor. And Jesus comes to rescue fools like me from ourselves. That's why Jesus came. The wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God, El Gibor. He's God the mighty one. It speaks about his divinity. And com- combined with another name of God, or Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God who is the Messiah, the God who is with us, this incarnation of God becoming man meant that the Messiah would be would have the physical image of God Himself as no other man had ever seen. Think of that. We can see God in Christ. The disciples who walked around Israel walked around with God. They could see God with their own eyes. Think of that. When Jesus Christ returns, you and I, we will see God with these physical eyes of ours. The one who made himself visible. And as God, God would have God dwelling with him. What an insight for a prophet to have way back, hundreds of years before the, the Messiah came. God would live with God in front of us. But the problem is, sorry to say, that sin doesn't just reduce you and I to fools. Sin also re- makes us unable. Unable to be who God designed us to be without Him. Unable to do what God created us to do without Him. You see, we can't achieve that potential God has made us for without Him. Because sin takes the place and takes it away from us. It robs us of that potential. But when God unleashed His might through Jesus to defeat sin and death for all of eternity, He also empowered us with that same power to desire and to do what He created us for. I know there's a lot here this morning, but there's so much summed up in this little baby. He is mighty God. When you give your life to Him, He gives you His power in your life. To achieve that which He's created you for. Without Him, nothing. Without Him, nothing. And that's just amazing for me. But He's not just mighty God. He's not just wonderful counselor. He's the everlasting Father. Listen to this. This is Scripture. The Son is the everlasting Father. Wow. Wow. I thought they were separate entities. Well, they are, but they aren't. The Son is the Father. He's the everlasting Father. And you see, this designates the Messiah as the possessor of eternity, the everlasting Father, but also He's the Father. He's that tender, that faithful, that wise trainer, the guardian, the provider for His people on this earth and into eternity. He's our Father, our everlasting Father. 
And by his life, his death, and his resurrection, Jesus welcomes us into his family as the Father. You and I become part of his family. And he's the door to which we have access to God. We have access through the Son, through the Father. And he lavishes his fatherly love on us. And we are blessed with all the rights, all the privileges of being his children. We're no longer separated. We're no longer lost. We're no longer alienated. We are no longer alone. But we live forever as the sons and daughters of the King because Jesus is our Father. No amens. Baptists, wake up. Thank you, Claire. He's not just the everlasting Father. He's the Prince of Peace. The Sar Shalom. The prince who removes all peace-disturbing powers, literally, says the translation. He's been appointed by the Father to take away anything which can disturb peace. And he has the power to do it. He is the embodiment of peace come down among the nations. And as the Son of God, he's the only one who can establish peace amongst the nations. Yes, he's the only one who can establish peace in this nation of ours, Aotearoa, New Zealand. He's the only one. And yet our leaders and our people deny him. And they deny him so vehemently and glibly. He is the only source of peace for this nation. You see, the problem is sin. The problem is that sin makes you and I the enemies of God. Sin makes you and I and our leaders and anyone else who denies Jesus Christ. It casts us into constant conflict with God and with people. Sin is antisocial. Sin is destructive. And it makes us better fighters of God and man than lovers of God and man. That's why we have issues in our country. But God had a solution, and He has a solution. And this solution would not be a negotiation. God didn't say, come and sit with me around the table and let's talk terms. God said, here is my son. I'm sending my son on a mission Believe him, love him, or die in hell. That's a summary. It's not a negotiation. You can't come to terms with Jesus. You can't come to him on your own terms. You come on his terms, or you have to turn away. His terms, or nothing. You see, peace, of God, peace with God... Peace with God is the only road to lasting peace with God and one another. If you want peace with God, and if you want peace with your fellow man, then you need to have peace with God first. And you need to come on His terms. And as you and I pray for peace on earth, we pray not for peace among nations, but we pray rather for peace between individuals and Almighty God. Do you get the difference? 
Yes, we need to pray for peace in the nations, but what does that mean? On, on the ground, what does that mean? It means we need to pray that there would be peace between individuals in that nation and God Almighty. Because only then will there be peace in the nation. And therefore we need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for our neighbors. We need to pray for our family members who make a part of this country with us. We need to pray for our children. They're all individuals who need to come to terms with Almighty God and His love. We need to pray for peace. Our verse carries on. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Remember, this is hundreds of years before it happened. Written in a time when the nation was taken away and was going to go into exile. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The prophet says of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. You see, what he's describing here is an ever-extending dominion of God and endless peace which will be brought in by the king's son. It's a victory story. When Israel looked at their own story, it was not a victory story in the short term. It was an up and down story of victory, sin. Victory, sin. Victory, sin. Your, your life and mine. Victory, sin. Victory, sin. But overall, when you look at the dominion of Jesus Christ, it's a victory story. There are more and more and more and more individuals coming to faith in Jesus Christ right across the globe, right from the time of Abraham until Jesus Christ comes. And yes, you might not see it here in New Zealand. And yes, the church in New Zealand might be shrinking. And yes, we might see, be seeing less and less conversions, which is a sad story in this country. And across the Western world. But go to places where life is harder. And you will see people coming to faith in Christ in droves. That's the reality. Why? Because he is the semper Augustus, to use the, the Latin phrase. He is the perpetual increaser of his kingdom. Not by war, but by the tools of peace. He brings peace. And every human soul conquered by the love of Jesus Christ, their Savior, receives his gift of peace. And the kingdom extends by one more person. I'm going to read you some stats, worldwide stats, just to show you that this is true. This is from 2019. This year, it's the freshest I could get. All right. Here's an article. You think Christianity is dying? No, it says Christianity is shifting dramatically. This is from the, status, sorry, the Global Christianity 2019 report by the Center for Study of Global Christianity. Okay. This is what it says. While Christianity may be on the decline in the United States, the world is becoming more religious, not less. We'll get back to that. While, numbers, while there, there's a rising number of nuns, those who on statistical forms write religions, religion none, 
All right, that's what they're talking about. Not in you, in. While the rising number of nuns, those who claim no religious affiliation when asked, claim the, the attention of religious pundits and the press, the world tells a different story. Religious convictions are growing and shifting geographically in several dramatic ways. The center of Christianity has shifted from Europe to the global south, south on the globe. A century ago, 80% lived in North America and Europe, compared to just 40% today. That's a sad story. In 1980, more Christians were found in the global south than the north for the first time in a thousand years. Today, the Christian community in Latin America and Africa alone account for one billion people. Over the past 100 years, Christians grew from less than 10% of Africa's population to its nearly 500 million today. These are going on actual stats taken. Out of, one out of every four Christians in the world presently is in Africa. And the Pew Research Center estimates that will grow to 40% by 2030. That's amazing. Asia is also experiencing growth as World Christianity Center has moved not only south but also east. In the last century, Christianity grew at twice the rate of the population in that continent. Asia's Christian population, listen to this, of 350 million is projected to grow to 460 million by 2025. Man, that's a growing story. You speak to Christians who've been to China specifically and behind the curtain to the underground churches there, and they are there. You speak to them about the story of people coming to Christ for salvation. The global religious wild card is China today. Even today, demographers estimate that more Christian believers are found worshipping in China on any given Sunday than in the whole of the United States. Future trends, while difficult to predict because so much is below the religious radar, especially where persecution comes about, could dramatically drive down the world's religious nuns. You see, his kingdom is a kingdom of victory. It's a growing kingdom. Don't believe the story that Christianity is dying out. Don't listen to the press. They will tell you that. We serve a Savior whose kingdom is extending and increasing. And one day when He comes, there will be billions of people who profess faith in Jesus Christ. We are part of a very, very big story. So don't ever feel alone. Christ has come to save anyone who will come to Him for faith. His kingdom will know no end, says Isaiah. It won't go into decline. It won't come to nothing like many past kingdoms of this earth who are now only in history books, in museums, little artifacts. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom because we are all souls, you and I, saved for eternity. Not just this lifetime. There's a secret of it, which is no secret at all. 
We are saved for eternity. So every save, soul saved is saved for eternity. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, he will establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. You see, through this Messiah, this little baby who was in a manger, God kept his promise to David 490 years earlier. The one who would be of David's line, who would deliver Israel, his nation. And God not only established that kingdom, but he upholds and sustains his kingdom. He upholds it and sustains it. He's the sovereign God working in history and the events of this earth to bring about his plan for his kingdom. Listen to me. History is not just a chain of random events. But history is a plan of divine appointments. I love that. It's not just history is not just haphazard happenings recorded for us. History is a chain of divine appointments building the kingdom of God. He is the sovereign God. He is in charge of this earth and everything on it. He is building his story. And we are part of that. And he will sustain and uphold his kingdom on two pillars. On the pillar of justice and righteousness. Those are really, really important words in the time of Isaiah and in our time today. He has his justice and his righteousness. His judgment, his mercy. Always together. His justice and his righteousness are constant and unchanging. He doesn't differ. They're the same in the time of Isaiah as they are today, as they will be forever. He will never change. And he pronounces his judgment over sin. And then he transfers his righteousness by his mercy to the members of his kingdom. You see, on the one side is sin, and he must pronounce judgment. He must deal with sin. But when we put our faith in him, he transfers his righteousness to us forever. Justice, mercy. Those are the two pillars. And how does this all come about, says the prophet? The zeal of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the armies, will do this. Now, to us today, the word zeal means um, he's got the energy to, and the, I guess he'll carry it through. He's got the, the purpose and the drive to push something through that zeal. But in the scriptures, it's much more than that. We're back to those pillars. There's the word zeal or jealousy here, kina, and it's not the seafood. Okay. His zeal, his jealousy for you and I. But it's a good jealousy. The word for it, for this jealousy is his glowing fire for us. He's got a glowing fire for his people. What does that mean? It's two parts. It's the fire of his love on the one side. Of this coin, and then on the other side of it, the fire of his wrath, his love for his people, his wrath against sin. And those are in constant togetherness before him. He can't, he is God. That is who he's made up of the fire of his love and the fire of his wrath. And his jealousy, as jealousy would contend for the object of its love, if, if you were a, a guy and you were in love with a girl and someone else came along, 
and they started paying attention to that girl that you loved, you would get jealous with a good jealousy. Not just for that girl, but also for the love that exists between you, right? The same with the Lord. He's jealous for us. For us as people, but also for the love which is there between us. It's his jealousy. It's a good thing. We've turned it into a bad thing, a bad word. But it's a good, holy jealousy. And he would not have anything touch us and remove us from his love. Because then his holy fire climbs in. And he burns away from us anything that would remove us from his presence. And I find great encouragement in that. Yes, I sin daily. I fall short of the glory of God daily because I'm a weak human being. But God won't leave me in that situation. His holy fire will come on me. And He will burn away that dross from me. And He will make me more holy and more pure to be like His Son. His Son that He sent for me. That's the good news of Christmas. He doesn't leave us alone. And this is the one we celebrate. The little baby who came to this earth. It's not just a little baby in a crib. Do you see there's so much here? There are 55 sermons tied up in the one that I tried to do today. There's so much here. And it's all tied up in that little baby who came. And that's why he's so important. And that's why he's so important that we have to have a float in a parade Actually depicting a real little baby and people around it. It's the real story of Christmas. It's not about presents and Rudolph and reindeer and all kinds of... And God will bring and fulfill His ever-expanding kingdom under the lordship of that once little baby, now son and king, Jesus. His zeal, His holy wrath, His unending love is the guarantee it will happen. He's an unchanging God. And so yes, that's why I love these verses. In short. And under the careful direction of the Holy Spirit, the prophet Isaiah purposefully chose these names and attributes to communicate to you and I today this Messiah God's Son, who is precisely who you and I desperately need. We need this one that we've learned about today. We need Him because He is the God-appointed remedy for you and I against this major symptom of sin. But more than that, He comes and He takes the whole infection away. Many people want the symptoms removed. He takes away the sickness of sin and he turns us into people who are more like his son please lord jesus start with me i pray so what do we do with that i want to speak firstly to unbelievers this is how it summarizes to you this morning if you're not a believer here today If you're sitting here and you do not yet have a relationship, whether you are young or old, it doesn't matter. If you're not in a direct relationship, a loving relationship with Jesus Christ, then I appeal to you based on this passage today, bow the knee. Bow the knee to this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, soon coming king. He's the free gift of eternal life 
and hope extended to you. He holds out His Son to you this morning. Would you turn your back on that gift? Would you dare to stand before a sinless God covered in your own filthy rags of sin and your own self-sufficiency? I plead with you today, find forgiveness, find mercy, and find forgiveness and mercy in boundless supply through Jesus. Bow before your king this Christmas. And find like Rocky, whose story we heard earlier, that Jesus loves you too. That's why he came. He came for you. And he came for you. And he came for you. And he came for me. He loves us. And then to you Christ followers here this morning. I appeal to you on this passage. Lift your heads. Lift your heads and see your coming king. Don't get stuck in life with your nose down in everything that's happening there. And worrying about everything in life. But be confident, not in who you are, but be confident in who he is. We will let him down. God will remain the same. Be confident in who almighty God is and what he can do. So don't get discouraged. You're part of a victory story. Don't compromise with evil. Don't try and hide your daily shortcomings. But bring them with confidence before His very throne. You are His child. He is the one who is your Father. He loves you. He wants to forgive you. But come before Him. Don't try and hide those sins from Him. He's a jealous God. He's jealous for you in a good way. He loves you and he will not let anyone or anything come between you and him. He will burn it away with holy fire and make you holy like his son. His great love for you and I. And so you too come before him, find forgiveness, find mercy, find forgiveness and mercy in boundless amounts bow before your Savior this Christmas and then take that message out with you. Thank you, Lord, for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, for me, for you. Amen.